Okay, so the first question, which is possibly my favourite. Would you rather, panel, be Angel Gabriel telling Mary she's pregnant or one of Jesus' disciples? Anyone? (laughs) I'll take this because it's quite easy compared to the others. (laughs) Um, A disciple, because then I'd be with Jesus as a man and hearing him one-to-one. Angel Gabriel, of course. I'd love to see Mary's face. (laughs) When they gave the news. Okay. Can angels fly, do you think? Because I don't know. That doesn't say that in the Bible, does it? I think I'd I'd quite like to be the angel because you're you're with God a lot and that must be pretty good. Great. Much more spiritual. Isaac, do you have an opinion? (laughs) I think I would have liked to have seen uh, the resurrected body of Christ. So, yeah, disciple. There you go, half and half. That's that's the way it's going. Okay, next question. Who created the Bible? Who created the Bible? (laughs) Go on, Isaac, go for it. Um, The Bible is a collection of books, um, but I guess the first thing to say is that as we are told in the Bible, that God inspired all what was written in the Bible. And through, through very many years, God spoke to his people and they wrote down uh, these books over the years. Um, and eventually these books were put together um, uh, to form this uh, library of books, uh, what we call the Bible. Um, yeah. Yeah, just to, to answer that, I suppose... Um, there is the, the human answer in the sense of um, there were a number of different people over a different amount of time who wrote it. But also there's the, the answer, uh, the God answer as well, is at the same time it's, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, for all scripture is God-breathed. And so as the writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit... Um, so it's authored by people and by God, the Holy Spirit. So it's both at the same time, which is different from, say, how uh, Muslims understand the Quran, which they uh, are just writing it down as uh, it is dictated to them. Um, so it's a different kind of um, writing. It's, it's both written by humans, but it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Great, thank you. Um, Andy, I'm coming to you. How, why, sorry, does God allow sickness, poverty, pain and suffering in the world? Uh, I think the first thing to acknowledge is that uh, suffering is something we all experience, sickness is something we all experience, and it's, it's not at all pleasant. And I think God hates it, and that's why Jesus came along. Mm-hmm. Christians believe Jesus is, is God in human flesh, he came along to sort it out for us and he shared in our sufferings. So God, in, 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 within Father, Son and Holy Spirit, he's actually experienced that suffering that we experience uh, and he, he doesn't like it any more than we do. If you look at Jesus before he went to the cross, he knew what was coming 
and he sweated blood. I mean, that's an extreme form of reaction to stress. Uh, You know, he knows what it's like for us. He's with us in our suffering. And he came to sort it out for us on the cross. So that, and, and in his resurrection, he overcame the suffering too so that uh, we can have eternal life now, and eternal quality of life now, and life beyond death where there will be no suffering. So that would be my first answer. There are, I have got three other answers, <laughs> but I think I've probably said enough at the moment. Catherine? Um, yeah, a couple of things. So I guess ultimately the cross was the ultimate suffering of God's Son, which without that, there would be nothing. Um, So that's kind of fundamental to um, our salvation. And what followed that, there's a kind of suffering then glory. Mm. Um, And that applies to us as well, I think, that suffering can um, make us look forward more to that glory. Um, in Romans 5 it says not only so but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope hope does not put us to shame and we've certainly felt that, some of you know we had a stillbirth six years ago and boy that was hard but it's really made us um, trust in God a lot more very much depend on him and makes us long for heaven Eddie what was the question again oh yes Um, I think I mean it's such a a sensitive one isn't it for us I mean just hearing Catherine talk there you know I know that amongst us there probably will be all kinds of issues and circumstances and things that have happened that are deeply tragic and painful and I think you know, any answer um, could sound really glib if, if we're not careful and, and requires sort of deeper thinking around it. I suppose one of the things I would just say in way of sort of beginning to talk about it a bit more, yes, Jesus, I mean, primarily Jesus, the ultimate suffering. So God knows and understands what suffering is about. You, you know, you've got somebody in Jesus who knows what it's like to suffer. And that's really important. I suppose sometimes when we look at suffering, we... We look at it very causational. We, we, we look at cause and effect. And we want to know what has caused the thing that we're feeling. And therefore we, we tend to, to go back and therefore think that that's God, is the ultimate cause. And I think sometimes when we, when we do that, we, we, we're sort of trapped in this, always thinking there must be some cause and reason why things happen. And actually... Um, the truth of the, in Scripture is that, that sometimes God gives us an answer about our suffering, and sometimes that's to do with something we've done. You know, that can be, um, you know, sin can cause a, a suffering. But sometimes there's, there's, there's sin generally that, that we've, in the world, that just we know it's a world that's mucked up and messed up. And there isn't something that you've done or something that is... Um, making that thing happen or uh, and we we always think in those terms of of cause and effect and job is a really a great book to read if you in scripture because job is dealing with suffering and his friends come around him and try to tell him oh it must be because of this it must be because of that you've had this suffering in your life and 
the kind of conversation goes on like this. And of course, it, it doesn't satisfy the, the real answer of why, why, why are these things happening. And at the end of the, the book, um, God very much speaks into it. But he just says, you know, where were you when I created the world? You know, he's saying, I am bigger than all this. Um, and I know that can sort of seem like a, a cop-out answer, but it is the answer that Scripture gives. Actually, God is, is much bigger and holds everything in his, in his hands, and so to speak. Um, he is in control of everything and all the detail. And even if he tried to explain it to us, we do not have the minds, the mental capacity to understand God. Because God is so big and other in that way that we would not be able to understand intellectually or fathom it out. Because God is so, in that sense, way beyond and bigger than our understanding. It's a bit like trying to explain to a three-year-old why something is happening, you know, to them. Um, And, you know, they've caught their ear in the door and there's blood flowing and... They can't understand it, a a child. It's that sort of distance in understanding. So that's one thing. And then allied with, but yes, God is other and bigger, but yet he is intimate. And he's intimate because of the cross and the suffering that he suffered for us on the cross. So I think those two things need to be held together. But I understand it's a really big, big thing and, and very personal for many of us. Has anyone got a follow-up question on anything that has just been said before we move on? I'm running. I'm going. I'm going. I don't really have a follow-up question, but an observation, which I hope may help, which is that many years ago, I found myself looking for a job. And somebody said to me, why do we have a right to have jobs or prosperity. And I think maybe we need to slightly say, why shouldn't we at times have setbacks? Because often that's part of life. And I think we are in danger of almost expecting things to be too easy. I'm not saying there's causality. I agree fully with the stuff about Job. But I think we may need to actually just say, hang on, everything isn't always going to be how we'd like. And I think in the West, we have it very easy relative to many. Thank you, Philip. Anyone want to go for Isaac? Um, One of my tutors, um, when I was at Cornhill, used to say, it's the gospel of adversity. Um, He went on to say things like, life is suffering, and you don't have to look far to see that life is hard because of it's a fallen world, uh, because of sin, there is pain and suffering. Um, and I guess physical pain and suffering uh, growing up back in Uganda was, was very real uh, uh, for me every day, from my day to day. So it's something that, um, that I had to think about. But um, one of the things that did center me uh, were uh, to remember um, and, and, and I'm not saying this came easy but there is something that kept on coming back to me that actually no matter the suffering the first thing was God is just and love 
And I think that that centered me constantly because when you have the why, uh, where you draw your meaning from where that the God is just and love, then the how becomes easier. So that, that really, really centered me that actually no matter all this around me, God is just. Because the alternative was to become angry and embittered and cynical um, about who God is. But it, it was just very helpful for me to know that. Um, I hope that helps. Thank you, Isaac. We're going to move on. A um, couple of questions on the same topic. So we are called to pray for our leaders and our government. It's sometimes quite hard. How do we approach this alongside, as Christians, what should we do about Boris Johnson? (laughs) You are welcome. Go on, on, Catherine. Um, (laughs) We're called to pray for those in authority that they would lead in a way that we can live peaceful and godly lives, I think the words are. Um, so I guess that's what we pray. And we pray that what they do will enable us to, to live peaceful lives, um, give thanks for the freedom we have to live as Christians, um, and all the while praying and trusting and knowing that God's in control. Great. It's a bit basic, but... I would just say, I, I would just add that um, we 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 shouldn't become cynical and um, disengaged um, and indifferent because it, it would be easy to do that. But I think we need to remain engaged and involved and understand the debates and get to know. It doesn't mean to say you need to be you know a, a political person. It just means understand. Um, the arguments, and I'd really under- help, really uh, say, you know, understand different the different sides of it as well, because it's, it, you know, in a church like St John's, there are many people from different political wings, um, and I think it's important for us to understand each other and um, not let these things become a place of contention that boils over into judgmentalism. Um, so it's important for us to remain engaged for the sake of the world and pray, um, but also do call out things that, you know, for, you know, although we don't want to be judgmental, we are called to make, um, uh, you know, considered judgments if something is... So I do think that, that's, um, that what that was said was, was wrong because of this. Um, but we need to do that carefully, um, but I think we need to do it together um, without being patient with one another and understanding each other. This week in the discussion group in the pub, we looked at, is the far right the greatest threat to society? And one of the quotes that I used on the sheet that I prepare was from a Canadian historian, and she was saying, she's called Margaret Macmillan, and she was saying that basically the the far left and the far right basically find an other, and then they um, label them. So if you're on the far left... You're going to label big business, etc., as the enemy. And if you're on the far right, you'll, you'll label uh, immigrants, people not like me, anything like that. Anyone a bit unusual, you might label them. And so what happens is this 
labelling occurs and they're very similar in their approach. And I think if we look as Christians, this is something to watch out for because it's very easy for us to get drawn into this labelling. And so we have to look at people as all of you beautiful people sitting here tonight are made in the image of God and you're loved by God. Boris Johnson is loved by God. Nigel Farage is loved by God. Um, what's the guy in Korea? North Korea? No, North Korea. Kim on Young is loved by God and made by God. And if you remember, Paul said, pray for the authorities. The authorities were the Romans and they were trying to kill the Christians a lot of the time. But they were loved by God. So I think we have to watch out for the labelling and we have to remember people are loved by God and we have to really pray and not disengage but not get drawn into this thing which is going on a lot at the moment, I think. Mm. Thank you. Um, We're just going to go back to, I think it was the first question, Eddie, that you answered um, where you said about um, God is, the Bible is inspired by God and someone has said but if God has spoken in the Bible how come humans chose what gospels would be kept in surely they should all have been used if they are from God sorry say that last bit again Um, but if God has spoken in the Bible how come humans chose what gospels would be kept surely they should all have been used if they are inspired by God well I mean what happened was as I mean we got to the uh, the, the councils in sort of the third century where they were made the final decisions about what books were going to be um, in the canon, um, in the, especially in the New Testament. Um, but what you have to understand, it, it wasn't, it was, it can feel like, uh, you know, we can approach it and understand history like they, oh, they had all these books uh, around them and we've got to choose, whittle it down to, to 27 we'll have that one that one three from the top and two from the bottom and it wasn't like that at all um it was what ha- it was it was something that happened over time over the period of time um that it was that the 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 early church um basically they were they'd already decided that what the can was they were just sort of giving it the, there was a fine there was a few books that were just making final decisions over uh, like Jude and two Peter, but they weren't. It wasn't like it was sort of. They were only make the, these guys were making the decision uh, now. It happened all the way from the first century. Um, kind of assumed and and assumed around um, uh, some basics about was the was the uh, author somebody who who was a disciple, an apostle, or knew closely an apostle or a disciple. So, for example, like Mark was closely related to Peter, um, the apostle, and you got the writers. Uh, so they had to be had to have that apostolic, what we call authority. Um, one of the early disciples, um, or a very close connection, like Luke was with Paul. Um, so it wasn't sort of like they sat around and decided later. It was decided um, pretty much as they were written. And they were received by the church. And we mustn't forget um, the Holy Spirit's action in that. Um, They're prayerfully deciding and coming to this conclusion. Great. 
Oh, yeah, sorry, Andy. Just a small thing, really, but just to say that it was like uh, a lot of the way the New Testament was formed was that there were checks and balances because if someone, if someone like Paul said, well, uh, Jesus was seen by 500 people alive, many of whom are alive today, well, that means you could go and ask them. And so there's a check and balance there because he's saying, you can check what I'm saying. And that was the process was going on. A lot of these books were written very close to Jesus' resurrection. So therefore, there were checks and balances going on all the time where people are saying, yes, but I was there and that didn't happen. Or yes, I was there and that did happen. So, it, you know, do you see what I mean? So that, was, that process was going on all that time while they were deciding what was scripture and what's not. And I think there's even an example where Peter talks about Paul's writing a scripture, I yeah, think. Yeah, there is, in, in there? 2 Peter. And there you go. see, he knows the reference. I'm hopeless on references. but So therefore, you can see that process happening even within the pages of the Bible. I think that's really helpful. And just go and look at the so-called Gospel of Thomas or the so-called Gospel of uh, Jesus or one of the others. They're written later, for a start. They're written in the second century. Go and look at them, read them. The style is very different. Um, and uh, you can see why they weren't received, as, partly because they were a long distance from when Jesus was around. Um, but have a look at them, because they're, not, they're very, very different. Mm, thank you. Um, I was just going to say, there's been a couple of questions just come in about politics off the back of what was said. Um, if we have time, we will come back to them, but our September Open to Questions is on politics, and we have a Baroness coming to speak to us on Christians and politics and all of that. So we will come back to them if there's time. If not, they will be saved for September. Moving on. Where does God stand in regards to the LGBT plus community? Anyone? Eddie. Where does he stand? That's a, that's a really interesting question. I mean, it's such a, a sensitive issue for, for um, the church, for all of us, and, and even for many, I'm sure, here, it's a very sensitive issue. So we need to be very careful in, in how we um, talk about it. Um, and I think it, it partly comes back to, I think, what Andrew said about... Um, uh, starting from the basis of God loves us, um, whether we are identifying in the LGBT plus category or whatever we want to call ourselves, or whether we are identifying ourselves as whatever, God loves us and loves you and loves me. And I think we need to always be mindful of that, how we begin to talk about it. And has, that's how God views people. Um, when it comes to the whole debate, debate there's many different aspects of that um, uh, because lgbt plus um, represents a whole myriad of different um, things there um, from uh, uh, sexuality homosexuality through to transgender and intersex and things like that so it's quite complex um, debate Um, god loves us but also that the bible does talk about where sex and sexuality is um, for humans. And it does affirm that the Bible affirms that sex is between a man and a woman in the context of a marriage, a covenant or marriage uh, between a man and a woman. 
And that's, that's obviously very difficult for many people today because that's not what our culture or our uh, society understands or, anymore. Um, but that is what the, the Bible talks about and affirms. And how we, how we go about explaining that and helping people um, to look at that when they're either going through experiences or whether they struggle with it just because they, they're struggling with it at work, um, being a Christian and trying to hold to a certain teaching, we need to be loving and caring and help people um, through it. Um, I've just finishing a really helpful book on um, probably mainly aimed at Christians called The Plausibility Problem by Ed Shaw. It's excellent. And I found it very challenging in terms of just me and how I live and um, various attitudes. So I really recommend it. Welcome to borrow it from me. He also did a talk here a couple of years ago, which I expect is on the website. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, How can we justify forgiveness? If you cannot forgive, how can you be forgiven? Isaac. Um, twitched. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, forgiveness. Um, Jesus did teach about forgiveness. Um, how can we justify it? I guess because we're against time, I'll just say we can't justify forgiveness because God has given, has forgiven us the greatest, has forgiven us at the greatest cost ever, um, and so because we have forgiven. Uh, the greater sins, we do, forgive, we do forgive others. And Jesus, I think Jesus was asked the same question, how many times should we forgive? And he says seven times and seven times and seven yeah. times. Basically, forgive every single time. Um, yeah, that's what Jesus teaches. Andrew? I, I think the other, I sold a story a while ago that you might know uh, from Corrie ten Boom. Uh, whose family were killed in the concentration camps in the Second World War because they were helping Jewish people who were being um, chased by the Nazis to try and put them in a concentration camp and kill them. And um, I, would, I, I, I think there are things that have been done to you. Like she saw her sister virtually killed, particularly by a particular brutal prison guard, a, a, a Nazi prison guard. And... I think that there's no underestimating the difficulty that you and I would have in forgiving that prison guard. I mean, if that happened to us, I don't know what we'd feel. We'd find it very hard. Um, uh, but she did forgive him. But the way it happened was he, she was giving a talk, a Christian talk, and he came up after the war and wanted to shake her hand because he'd become a Christian. And she just said to God, I can't do this, like an arrow prayer. And she felt God just kind of shoved her hand out. And that's all she... I mean, I don't know that she'd forgiven him at that point. But she just did... That's all she was able to do at that point. And so she shook his hand. But later they did become friends, uh, which is amazing. And if you look at the truth... If you look, there's a great website called The Forgiveness Project. I don't know if you've heard of this. But there's lots of stories around this topic. And if you look at them, um, I can't remember the quotes now, but basically 
there's a great quote, I think, from Desmond Tutu or someone, but he's saying, basically, um, if you don't forgive, the greatest harm that is going to be caused is to you because that's going to hurt you more than anyone else. And he, he was involved in the Truth and Reconciliation Project in um, South Africa, you know, and it really avoided a bloodbath after the end of apartheid. Another book um, is R.T. Kendall. There's a book called Total Forgiveness, which is excellent and really helped me quite a long time ago. But, um, yeah, I'd recommend it. I also have that if you'd like to <laughs> Great. Do you have a book list? You could just leave. I, I, thank you. She's got a library. Um, Isaac, is there comedy in heaven? <laughs> I would imagine so. Because <laughs> um, we're, we're told heaven is going to be a place of, most importantly, we're going to be with God, a uh, place of joy, a place of worshipping God. Uh, I'm sure it will be a good time. It's going to be a party, a banquet. So I, I think comedy will be there. Well, I would like comedy to be there. <laughs> Andy, did you want to say something about heaven? Me? You said something earlier that I thought was great. Did I? Oh, well, I was, do- I was doing a bit of marriage prep with someone. And if you look at, if you look at the John 3, the first miracle recorded by Jesus in John's Gospel, seven signs, the first of the seven I think it is, you know, he changed the water into wine. Now, you, if you're not a Christian, you might find that hard to believe, but um, the, gall- the things that they used uh, were about that big, I think. They were pretty big, and he, he made loads of wine, and they had a wedding that was going. They often went on for a week, and um, they were running out of wine, which was a real disgrace. So he changed the water into wine, and I think part of that picture was that that's that banquet, that that thing that we mention at weddings actually if you look at the wedding service that's a good picture of what heaven with life with God is like it's like a party I don't mean it in a frivolous way but I do think there's that sense of celebration that that people seem to often miss that you're meant to have fun you know I mean you don't want to go to a party that's dull do you and God knows that so I think there must be humor to come to the point there has to be great let's leave that one there um Catherine God created women to be partner for men so why now is equality in relationships looked upon as normal I think that implies that Christians think equality in relationships is not normal but I think God's sees us as equal, male and female, so in Genesis, God created them in his image, male and female. Um, But I do think we have different roles, and I think the Bible's clear on that, um, that it sets out male headship as God's order for things, and that can be hard. So I was reading some hilarious diaries from when I was a teenager. They're also in her library. (laughs) (laughs) when I was completely outraged when I first um, I guess had some teaching on women um, from the Bible and it can be taught badly and wrongly and it can be worked out wrongly and badly and that can be very hurtful and difficult Um, but 
We do have different roles, and it means that our marriages may well look different to those who aren't Christians. So, um, yeah, the Ephesians 5 model in marriage. So, actually, the man has to love his wife like Christ loved the church. That's a really big ask. Um, So I think we can easily um, sort of skew it, and we can see the negative side of it, and we can see it worked out badly as well. Um, It is difficult. I am, was, quite ambitious, and it is something that we need to work out um, in different situations. Um, But I do think that there is an order which God has set out... um, so do you think that your ambition is taint, not taint is the wrong word. This is why I don't ask follow-up questions. Do you think your ambition is stopped because of what it says in the Bible? Um, partly it's circumstances that's kind of curtailed my ambition. Four children, one of whom has special needs. Um, yeah, but it has shaped my thinking. Yeah. I, I would have had a different view 20 years ago, probably, to now. Okay. Eddie? No, I was just going to say, um, and, and I know different Christians will have different um, views on this, um, and, you know, uh, godly Christians who Bible-believing Christians, I, I think um, one of the things I would add to what Catherine is saying, though, is that is I often think about the Trinity. We, we are made in the image of God, who's a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I sometimes think we don't think about the depth of that, that theology because we're a bit frightened of it. Um, but when we think about God as Trinity, we understand his relationship within the Trinity and we're made in his image. And there is perfect equality within the Godhead. The perfect equality, you know, the Father is not less equal than the Holy Spirit uh, or the Son. They are equal. Yet we would affirm, wouldn't we, that they have different roles within the Godhead. Um, mm. You know, the Father doesn't do what the Holy Spirit does, etc. Um, there is unity and personhood in the Trinity. And so I think when we start to understand equality, uh, the, in our culture we understand equality as, as the same as role and function. And I think that's sometimes where we, we have the misunderstanding in Scripture. And if we understand God, you know, the Holy Spirit um, and Jesus and the Father are doing different things, but yet beautifully equal and um, wonderfully so. And, um, and, and often it's viewed in terms of power and control. And, of course, that's not what is happening in the Godhead. It's not about power and control. It's actually about love and about relationship and about intimacy. And um, I think uh, there's a lot of thinking to be done around that to help us understand what Scripture is saying in that area. But I'm not saying it's easy. I mean, I do think it's important for us to, to sort of understand um, that we can, we can live happily with different views on this um, because I think it's one of those areas that's not a... A primary issue. It's not a salvific. It's not about salvation. It's not something that, if it was about justification by faith alone, then I, I would, you know, definitely say that's about, you know, there's no 
question about that. But this is something that there are different Christians who have different views in this church and we need to respect one another and understand which each other are coming from. How we work that out in practice, in the family or in the church, is, is complicated mm. and requires a lot of prayer and respect and understanding. Cool. We are going to move on because of time, but I would just add to that that there was a fantastic sermon here a few months... Not a book. Not a book. I'm not... No. A few months ago um, by Louis and Victoria, um, who preached together, and it was a really... Sorry, I'm putting you on the spot. Um, It was a really great... um, Just They really shared how that has kind of developed in their life and they talked from both sides from the male and the female and how they've they've interpreted um headship and marriage and what the bible says about marriage that is on the church website if you search either of their names on the talk bit that would come up so go and give that a listen i would really really recommend it can um, i recommend a book sorry isaac it's called different by design i don't remember who wrote it but it's, it's very good google it yeah great um We've got a couple of questions around the same topic. Um, why is the Lord silent? And what happened to the mighty power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in Acts that saw people rising from the dead? He seems far distant, weak, and silent now in comparison. Yeah. Isaac? <laughs> yeah. You're holding the mic. <laughs> um, the Lord is definitely not silent. He's speaking to us. Um, um, through the word, his word through the Bible, but also individually he speaks to us. Um, but I think in reference to, to the book of Acts, uh, the book of Acts was specifically a special time in, in, in advancing of the gospel uh, that God poured out his spirit for these miraculous signs and um, poured out. It was special for that advancing because the book of Acts is all about the gospel traveling to different parts of the world. And that's why you see it. And that's why the, this time is, is, is actually quite, quite special. Because if you look through all the other books of the New Testament, uh, yes, miracles do happen. Um, and, and all these things do happen. But specifically in Acts, they are very predominant, partly because of that reason of getting the word, the gospel, to, to the ends of the world. Um, I don't know if you... God is not silent. Um, God is um, speaking to us. He's spoken to us primarily through his word. Um, And um, as believers, we also, we have the the Holy Spirit. He he is um, living in us. And um, Scripture talks about he is with his church. I believe that he's working through us now. Um, Now, how we understand what that means in terms of speaking to us, um, we need to be thinking that carefully through because we could easily finish up saying, somebody getting up and say, God is saying this. Well, how do we know that God is saying that? We would obviously, we would, the scriptures say, we weigh it against scripture and what it says in the Bible and test it and weigh it together within the community of believers. But yeah, I mean, I, 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 believe God is at work amongst us as we pray, as we seek him as we read his word um, I believe he's been at work this last week, mm-hmm. um, many people 
um, we've been in touch with through the big welcome and I, I, I don't believe any of that has happened um, just by chance and I could, we, could tell, we could share stories if you like and uh, tell you more about that maybe we should do that more because then mm. I think sometimes that's sometimes the issue is we don't share the stories I know um, we've talked about um, having more testimonies in services so maybe that is something there we go we said it at the front of church so it might happen now that is that might be something so that people can see that God definitely isn't silent um, Andy what does it mean to be a Christian well um, I used to say to Jane who's sitting over there uh, when I met her and I said to her you're going down to that church to be indoctrinated. That's what you're doing. So all of you here tonight, that's what's going on, just in case you weren't sure what was going on. Right? You're all being indoctrinated. And uh, I would carry on on this theme, but then we were at college in Plymouth, then we came back up here, and she carried on going to church, which was annoyed me slightly, you know, but... Um, I came back up here, and then I'd been going on about Martin Luther King's about the only decent Christian who ever lived. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. You're all a bunch of hypocrites, and I think that is true, actually. The osteopath over there said that to me. I said, yeah, you're right. Come and join us, please. So it's absolutely right. We are hypocrites. That's why we are following Jesus, because we admit it. Um, anyway, and then I was also saying, politics in the church, they're like that. So I went to the service. I think it was the morning... And the sermon was about politics and the church being like that. And I thought, oh, that's odd. Then I went... Now, they were very, very religious. So we got a good lunch. And then they <laughs> took me back again in the evening. And it's... Well, uh, Martin Luther King, what a good bloke he is. I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. I really seriously thought she'd tip the vicar off. <laughs> because it was so exactly what I'd been thinking. And then I realised she'd been in Plymouth where I had been. She couldn't have tipped the vicar off. God must have tipped the vicar off. I realised, I thought, no one could know that except God. And so I kind of caved in. And it says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And I was lost. I was in the wrong place because I turned my back on God. And then I turned back to God after that. I didn't know anything. I didn't know about Jesus really, anything. I just turned back to God. I thought, well, at least he's interested in me, so I better find out more. And I wouldn't go back to that being lost stage ever. And it's not always easy. It's an adventure, though. And it's great trying to follow Jesus. It is good fun, but it has its hard bits as well, so I wouldn't pretend it wasn't. But I would encourage you, if you're not following Jesus, turn back to God or turn to God, because it's great. There's nothing like it. Amazing. Thank you. Um, Eddie. Sorry. We're on a time, Andy. We're on time. The Bible says God created male and female. How do we as Christians challenge the view of gender neutral, binary, etc.? How do we challenge the view? That's the question. Um, well, the, again, this is a very, very hot topic at the moment in our culture. Um, it, the Bible does teach um, that in Genesis and elsewhere, and Jesus himself affirms it in the Gospels, 
He says that um, he has created us in his image, male and female. Which is as binary as you, as you get, really, in terms of uh, what it's, it's teaching. And it's affirmed throughout scripture. Um, that's a, I, I'm not sure how we can challenge that. We're, if we challenge that, we're challenging scripture and what God says. And that's a difficult place um, to be in, and, and um, that doesn't mean to say we shouldn't wrestle with it. The chat there is a, uh, the Bible says lots of hard things to us that we have to wrestle with and understand what that means for us individually and how we're to live in society, which has a, a different view, um, because we li- we are living in a society that says um, identity is really what you want to make it. You decide your identity and um, I think you know it's, I'm not a, a, an expert in this area I think there's a lot of people who are better placed to talk about it but I think it's something that I've what I've noticed is when when people have to decide what they are there's actually a tyranny in that uh, there's a tyranny in, in trying to sit down and work out who am I what is my gender? What is my identity? Um, and I think there's probably, you know, we look at our world and say, well, anxiety is on the increase, especially in young people, depression, all sorts of other things that are going on, adding to that. Um, and, and sit, you know, for young people to, to have to deal with that as well, to work out who am I, particularly when they're young, going through stages of life where that's, that becomes very real. I think is a, is a tyranny. Um, and actually, as Christians, what we're saying, well, isn't it a beautiful freedom in knowing that it's God who says who we are. God who tells us who we are. And he affirms that we're male and female. And he, and he tells us that we're dearly loved. And if we follow Jesus, accept him into our lives, we become adopted into God's family. We're part of what a great identity that it is to be in Christ. That's your identity, um, is being in Christ. Now, of course, for people who are experiencing um, uh, different feelings, struggling with those, trying to work out, I understand that's a really real and feeling and, and will need a lot of help and prayer and we need to walk alongside people um, as they struggle with those issues. And I don't pretend to sit here having uh, you know, a clear, well-worked-out answer, but I, I think it's something we've got to start talking more about. And in fact, I've, I felt quite convicted that we do need to talk more about it, even though it's a very hard thing to talk about. Great, thank you. Andy. Yeah, I was just slightly concerned the way the, the question was phrased. It said it had a challenge. I would want to get alongside. I'm thinking pastorally. You want to get alongside everyone because God loves everybody. They're all made, everyone's made in the image of God. So we need to get alongside people. And that, to me, that's the main thing. And then you work out all those things afterwards. So I, 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 I don't quite like the way the I'm sorry, I don't want to insult someone here. You probably may not have meant this. But I wouldn't want to challenge. I'd want to get alongside. Can I say something quickly? I think... It's just something to be aware of as this conversation and debate rages. One of 
one of the arguments I put forward is that the soul and the body are two different things and the body is just a shell that you know houses my soul as as it were but I think as Christians the the Bible teaches us different that the the body and the soul are are, are one thing and it's not this is not just a shell that I I can do whatever I want to it and you know what matters is what is inside uh, the Bible teaches differently and so once we're aware of that and recognize that and engage in this conversation, I think I think I think that's 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 helpful as we engage with this conversation. Great, thank you. We're going to have two more questions. Um, if your question isn't answered tonight, I'm really sorry. We've literally still got like 30 questions, um, but we are going to finish at 7:30, so we're not going to get through all of them. Um, I will just say there's been quite a few on science and things around science. We did an open to questions um, a few months ago on science um, and just looking through a lot of those questions were answered in that. That is on the website. So if you have a question on that that um, you would like to see if there's an answer to that, then please go and listen to that on the website. Um, Two questions then. So are there any sins that can't be forgiven? Vicar. <laughs> no. Um, there was a there was a um, Matt Baker preached yep. me the week before last around about um, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, um, mm-hmm. which I direct people to to go and listen to. Um, the the offer of forgiveness. Um, is open to all um, and that's the wonderful good news now um, I think maybe with the I think I probably just want to leave it there because it's going to be a lot longer answer than we've got time for I would encourage people to come and talk to me about that separately actually because of the time but yeah. go and listen to what Matt said but I think if you're worried about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, then it's probably a sign that you've not blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'll give you reasons and explanation to that. Um, and that was very right. much the essence of Matt's sermon. And that was in the morning two weeks ago. Um, so, yeah, I would absolutely go and listen to that. Um, there you go. You've got a week of listening. I'm sorry that's a bit short, but I'm no, that's just conscious. Good. That's fine. Did you want to say something? Well, only that... Um, I preached on Zacchaeus this morning. He was a little man. He was very corrupt. A very little man was he. He knows the song. He was very corrupt, right? And he was like, uh, you know, the bankers who ripped off Noel Edmonds' company. I don't know if you've seen that, the H Boss stuff. He, he was he was not a nice man, this man. And yet Jesus singled him out and said, "I've come to seek and save the lost. I want to come and eat with you." Now I've met people who think that God's not interested in them because they are too bad and they're not religious enough, so he's not interested in them. Those are exactly the kind of people God is interested in. So if you're feeling that tonight, I would say, do come and chat to me afterwards. I was exactly like that. And also, he's really interested in you. Uh, So chat about it later. Fantastic. And to finish then, does God need our permission to work in our lives? Do we need to be praying in order for God to work? A nice light one to finish on. 
Catherine, go for it. I think that um, our praying is part of the way that God works. So, yeah, I think we, okay. we need to pray and that's part of how we relate to God and, yeah, it's part of how he works through our prayers. Okay. Eddie? Um, this is an interesting one because I think this is where um, questions around predestination and free choice sort of uh, come together and they may be words that don't relate but what I'm trying to talk a bit is that um, we do have free will Um, there's nothing wrong with us our ability to choose God it's just we don't choose God there's a subtle difference in that. So we do have our will, but we just don't choose God because by nature we don't want to know God. God, has, God comes to us and in a sense like scripture says, knocks on the door and he waits for us to open. He's not going to impose himself on us in that way, which sort of leads to the question. We at the same time as he comes to us, we uh, open the door to him. We receive him, is what we often say. And it's both things. And it's a mystery. <laughs> That's a, it, it's the, it's, uh, but it's, yet yeah, God is coming to us and we are receiving him. There's a very interesting bit, and if you ever look at John 6, um, those things are coming together at the same time. Um, uh, God is coming and yet we are receiving and which one is the primary mover I would always say God is at work if he's knocking on your door he's the prime mover in that the Holy Spirit is the prime mover in that he comes to us and he's knocking on the door and often we're not listening and yet um, he's re- we just need to receive him and open the door does that kind of answer it? yeah I think so uh, just to add, we, we, when we think about free and choosing for ourselves, I think a lot of the times we think that the free is without God at all. Um, and I think that's a mistake. Now, because God is in it, it does not mean that it's not a free choice as well because, you know, Jesus held people accountable who did not listen to him because they had a choice, like Eddie said, but also, you know, so God, he, he works in ways, he, he works his, out his ways in different ways, but free will does not exactly mean that that is entirely without God because it's God's world and he works out his purposes whether we like it or because not. Virgin said, yeah. I've heard of this will, but not this free will. <laughs> so, sorry, that's yeah. that, There we go. Well, that's a tricky I'm one. I'm so confused. I think that the only other thing I would say is that God, but God can use people who aren't believers in him to do good things like Cyrus of Persia, for example, allowed the Jews to go back to their land. And so there's an element of that, well, just to complicate matters and send you home really confused. And on that note... Why did you keep that question to the last? I'm really sorry. It wasn't, so, in my head, it wasn't a complicated question. With, and listen, I, I think it's, I, it's good for evangelicals <laughs> not to have a straight answer to something. I think it's very good for us all to all ponder upon like it. politicians. There we go. The panel um, are revolting. 
Not revolting as in the horrible. I mean, revolt. On that note, can we please give our panel a round of applause? They've done fantastically well. You can go sit down, go sit down. Let's stand, shall we? We've had so many questions tonight, but ultimately it comes down to that we are never going to know all the answers. Um, God is so much greater. God knows the answers. If you have got a question that um, you do really feel like you can't leave here tonight without knowing the answer, then please do speak to Eddie, to Andy, to Catherine, to Isaac, to me, um, and we'd love to chat to you at the end. We're just going to end our service by singing, How Great Is Our God? He is the one that knows the answers. He is the one that goes before us. So let's lift him up in song together to close tonight.